Well, take your copy of God's Word this morning and open it with me once again to the book of Exodus, chapter 19. And in a moment, we're going to begin reading in verse 9. Exodus, chapter 19, verse 9 through the end of the chapter. Andrew Brunson is an American who spent 20 years working as a missionary in Turkey. In 2016, there was a failed military coup in that country, after which he was arrested and accused of being a spy. He spent an entire year in prison before any formal charges were even brought against him. It was only after two years in prison they acknowledged he was not a spy, and they released him from prison, but they forced him to return to the United States. And after he got back, he was invited to preach at a Christian university in Illinois, and in that message, he talked about his imprisonment. What he said, however, might surprise you. He said, quote, I completely lost the sense of God's presence. God was silent, and he remained silent for two years. Let's be honest. We've all been there. There is not a person here who has not gone through a season in their life in which God did not seem present. Maybe you are there this morning. God does not feel present. He feels distant or he feels absent. And the question for us this morning is, how can we experience, I mean truly experience the presence of God in our lives today? I want to do something a little bit differently this morning. We're going to read this entire passage, and it's just one of those passages that you really have to read in its entirety in order to feel the weight of it. But in these verses, Israel is going to experience God's presence like never before. Israel had seen God's glory. They'd seen God's glory in the plagues, in the parting of the Red Sea, in God's protection, in God's provision, in the wilderness. But in chapter 19, God reveals to them his presence in a unique and a powerful way. And I've said this before, I'll say it again, we are not Israel. This is not Mount Sinai, but this passage has some things to teach us about the presence of God and how we can experience his presence. Look with me, starting in that ninth verse. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, 
the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day, and do not come near your wives. Then it came to pass on the third day, in the morning, that there were thunderings and lightnings and a quick cloud, a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Away, get down, and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. We're going to see that there are some things that we need to recognize if we're going to experience the presence of God in our lives. And even more specifically, there's some things we must recognize and acknowledge that we cannot do. And there are three things that I want to emphasize in this passage. First of all, there's a majesty we cannot comprehend. There's a majesty here that we cannot comprehend. Verse 11 says the Lord came down. Verse 18 says the Lord descended upon the mountain. Of course, we know there's no mountain that can contain God. Solomon said when he dedicated the temple, the highest 
heaven cannot contain you. The universe cannot contain him, much less any mountain. So what does it mean when it says that the Lord came down, that the Lord descended upon the mountain? I'll tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean the full and the complete presence of God came down. God said in Exodus 33, no one can see me and live. If the full and complete presence of God had come down, they would not have lived to tell about it. What it means is that they saw an outward display of the majesty of God. They saw the smallest glimpse of God's glory. What happens in this passage is one of the most terrifying stories in the Bible. If you can read these verses and not feel some of the terror that they were feeling, you're not reading it correctly. Verse 16 mentions thunder and lightning. And there was a thick cloud. The sound of the trumpet, the Bible says, was so terrifying that just the sound itself caused the people to tremble when they heard it. Verse 18 says the mountain was covered in smoke because the Lord descended with fire. And if all that's not enough, the ground began to shake. There was an earthquake. Then in verse 19, that voice, that sound of the trumpet, which was already causing them to tremble, the Bible says it got louder and louder and louder. Imagine you are in that congregation, one of millions of people at the base of that mountain, and as God comes near and all of this begins to happen, a terror fills your heart, and your knees begin to buckle, and your legs become weak, and your hands and your arms tremble, and you look around, and you quickly discover that you are not the only one. Every single person, and I mean every single person around you, is shaking uncontrollably. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 21, that even Moses trembled with fear. You know, some of you were in homestead, when Hurricane Andrew came, I've heard your stories many times. What it was like to hide in your closet or hide in a bathtub while a Category 5 storm passed over you. I'm curious, how many of you were here living in Homestead and you experienced that storm many years ago? I see a lot of hands in this room. All right, let me ask you this question. How many of you experienced... Hurricane Andrew during an earthquake while your house was repeatedly struck by lightning and totally caught on fire. Anybody can make that claim here. Anybody? I don't think so. As bad as Hurricane Andrew was, folks, that was nothing compared to what happened when God's presence descended upon that mountain. However much fear you felt in that moment, that was nothing compared to the fear of the Israelites in this moment. And everything that happens in these verses tells us something about God. 
For example, we see over and over again in Scripture, thunder and lightning accompanied by God's power. We see smoke. We see the cloud numerous times in Scripture as a picture of God's mystery because there's so much we cannot see or know about him. We see fire as a picture of God's holiness five times. The Bible says that God is a consuming fire. The trumpet speaks of God's sovereignty. It announced to the people that the king of kings is coming. And you take all of that and you put it together. It speaks of a God who's bigger and greater than anything man could ever conceive. Now, if God is all of these things, and if one day, as the Bible says, we are all going to individually stand before him. That leads to a couple of questions. First of all, does our response to God match his immensity? I think for most of us, honestly, the answer is no. And so that brings us to a second question. If this is who God is, if God is this big, if he's this great, what should our response to God be? Now, there are at least five applications, five things that I want to point out to you that we should do in light of this. If God is this great, if God is this great, we should fear him entirely. Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to be wise. Do you want to really have wisdom? This is where it begins with a fear of the Lord. It is wise to fear God because God is absolutely pure, absolutely holy, so much so, I dare say, it is dangerous to approach him. That's why Hebrews 10.31 says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If this is who God is, yes, we should fear him entirely. We should also worship him reverently. We should worship him reverently. So much of our worship and especially our singing in churches these days places so much emphasis on the personal nature of God. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is appropriate. Jesus calls us friends. But if we're not careful, we can place so much emphasis on God as our friend that we forget about his greatness and we lose that sense of reverence listen to me carefully god is not your buddy he is not as some people dare to claim as they blaspheme the man upstairs he's clothed in power and glory and if you had just a glimpse of that glory you would fall down like dead before him if we really see God in this way the way he appears in Exodus chapter 19 that is going to change the way we approach him change the way we worship him if God is this great we should fear him entirely we should worship him reverently and we should also obey him completely let me remind you of the context of Exodus chapter 19. God is getting ready 
to give them the law. He is about to hand down to them the Ten Commandments. That is the context here. And it was necessary in this moment for God to show up in this way. And you know why? So that no one, when they received the law, would then be able to say, you know, I like the first commandment. I'm not so sure about the fourth. I accept number six. I'm going to have to think about number seven. You see, if this is who God is, if God is this powerful, if he's this glorious, if the mere sound of his voice would cause every bone in your body to shake, are you going to appoint yourself God's judge? Are you going to tell him what is right and wrong, what is truth, what is error? Are you going to decide which parts of what he says you will accept and which parts you will reject? If God is this great, we should obey him completely. We should also trust him wholeheartedly. We should trust him wholeheartedly. If God is all of the things that we see in Exodus 19... Why would we not trust him? Why would we ever question God's ability to defend us, to provide for us, to guide us, to protect us? Finally, we should love him supremely. The God who appears in smoke and in fire the God whose voice strikes fear in the people in the middle of chapter 19 is the same God who said at the beginning of chapter 19, I lifted you up on wings as eagles. God cares about you. He loves you. And all of this power and all of this might that we see in chapter 19, you know what God does? God takes all of that and he puts it to work for your good. He puts it all to work for your well-being. That's why this should motivate us to love him supremely. If God is the God of Exodus 19, if he is all of these things yes we should fear him and worship him and obey him and trust him and love him with all of our heart soul mind and strength but if we're going to experience God in our lives we must acknowledge that God is these things and at the same time he is more majestic than we can comprehend or ever hope to understand there's a majesty here we cannot comprehend. There's something else we cannot do that I want you to notice in this passage. There's a divide we cannot cross. There's a divide we cannot cross. There's something I want you to notice about the beginning and the ending of this passage. At the beginning, God tells Israel to get ready for his coming. They are to get ready by doing several things. In verse 10, they're told to wash their clothes. I know what you're thinking. Pastor, that is always a good idea. I bet most of you washed your clothes before coming to church this morning. But in the Bible, there's something bigger and deeper that's going on here. Many times in the Bible, the washing of one's clothes or the changing of one's clothes is symbolic. It is a sign of sanctification. 
And usually it involves the confession of sin. Moses was told to prepare the people by consecrating them. Now, the text doesn't explicitly tell us this, but when we see that word consecrate repeatedly in the scriptures, normally in the scriptures, that consecration is accompanied by a sacrifice. An animal was sacrificed. Its blood was shed as a way of consecrating them, and they did this to remind the people that the wages of sin is death, but also to point them to this ultimate sacrifice, this future sacrifice that the Messiah, Jesus, would one day offer in himself. Moses told the people, he told the husbands not to touch their wives. During this time, they were to be celibate. That probably means that God wanted their undivided attention for three days. This was a type of fasting. One more thing that they had to do. Look again at verse 12. You shall set bounds for the people all around saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. God said, When I come down, anyone who approaches me except for Moses will die therefore you are to put up a physical boundary that the people will not pass if they do they'll they'll be put to death but don't touch them he said stone them shoot them with an arrow but don't touch them lest you become contaminated as well lest you suffer the same fate now you read this and you think pastor this is so heavy this is so harsh what's going on God is teaching them something. He's teaching them that in spite of all of their preparations, in spite of their best efforts, in spite of them washing their clothes, in spite of their prayers, in spite of their confession of sins, in spite of all of their sacrifices, in spite of their very best efforts, they still could not come to God on their own. There's something that's kind of funny that happens towards the end of this passage. God calls Moses up the mountain. Moses goes up the mountain. As soon as he gets to the top of the mountain, God says to Moses, go back down. God said, I want you to go down again and warn the people again. Tell them one more time, they better not come up this mountain. They better not approach my presence. They better not cross that boundary lest they die Moses heard this and he objected but God you told me to set a boundary I set a boundary and besides the Bible says that the people were trembling in fear do you really think that anybody there said hey guys I've got an idea let's all rush up that mountain together well they wanted to run they wanted to run away they wanted to run in the opposite direction. But God nevertheless made Moses go down the mountain again so that he could warn them one more time so that he could say to them, hey guys, keep your distance. Now why did God do this? 
God sent Moses back in order to emphasize that there is, there is this divide between God and man, and we are completely unable to cross it. Moses set up a literal, physical boundary bet between God and the people so that they would realize that there is a real spiritual separation between God and man that is caused by our sin. And once we begin to see who God is, once we begin to see and know something of his holiness, his power, his might, we cannot help but see our own sinfulness. Modern man tends to look at his sin very casually as if it's not a big deal. But when you see how great God is, you begin to see how terrible your own sin is and you realize that sin is actually rebellion against God. It is actually treason against heaven. And God's holiness means that God cannot and he will not tolerate sin in his presence. Not that anyone would ever do this, but did you know if you were to stare into the sun on a bright sunny day without closing your eyes, without blinking, did you know it would only take you 100 seconds to become blind? 100 seconds, less than two minutes. No one would even think to gaze upon the brightness of the sun. And yet the average man, the average woman around you today thinks that they can just casually gaze at the holiness of God whose holiness is so bright, it is infinitely brighter than all of the stars in the universe combined. They think that they're just going to stroll into God's presence as if their sin is no big deal and God is going to ignore it and look the other way. No, he is not. And just as the people on Mount Sinai could not come up the mountain Sinful man is not able to approach God. In one sense, this is what makes the message of the whole Bible unique. In every other so-called holy book, in every man-made religion, the message is all about how man must come up to God. Here are the rules. Do this, do that. And if you try hard enough, if you do well enough, maybe you will reach him. Maybe you will make it. But we open up the Bible and we read the gospel and it says to us, you cannot reach God. He is so high and you are so low. He is so holy. You are so sinful. You could not reach God if you tried. We cannot go up to God, but that's why God came down to us. That's why in a few months we're going to celebrate Christmas. And this leads us to a final thing that we need to recognize if we're really going to experience God's presence. We're going to notice there's a dilemma that we cannot solve. There's a dilemma we cannot solve. Throughout Exodus chapter 19, here is this problem how can sinful man approach a holy God? 
Yes, God wants the people to be able to experience his presence, but the people must keep their distance. We have the same dilemma. We long to know the God who created us. We long to come into his presence and experience his presence. But we too have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's too holy thus for us to approach him. He is too dangerous. So what is the solution to this problem? What's the solution to this dilemma? Well, God shows us a picture of this solution in the person of Moses. And when we read this chapter, throughout the chapter, we notice that the people could not approach God, but Moses could. God gave him special grace to be able to go up and down that mountain. And throughout the chapter, that's exactly what Moses does. He goes up and down and up and down. Poor Moses. In verse 3, he went up. In verse 7, he went back down. In verse 8, he went up. In verse 14, he went back down. In verse 20, he went up. In verse 25, he went back down. I feel sorry for Moses. That's a lot of mountain climbing for an 80-year-old man. Well, he goes up and down and up and down, and every time he's doing one of two things. He's either speaking to God on behalf of the people representing man, or he's speaking to the people representing God. Why was this so necessary? God used Moses in this way because God is teaching the people and he's teaching us that we all need a mediator. We all need someone who can stand between sinful man and a holy God, reconciling man to God. You see, we cannot cross the divide, so we need someone who will cross it for us. We cannot help but see in Moses a picture of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3.13 makes this same comparison, and it says that Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses. Why is that? Because Jesus did, and Jesus was able to do some things for us as mediator that Moses could never do for Israel you see, as the Son of God, he brought God's glory and his holiness and his power and he packaged it in human flesh so that we could actually experience his presence in our lives. Because Jesus was God, he could represent God before man. Because he was fully man, he could represent man before God, bringing the two together in a way that Moses never could. Moses was a sinner, but Jesus was without sin. Moses handed down the law. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law for us. Moses offered the people a temporary sacrifice, but Jesus offered the sacrifice of himself. He died once and for all for our sin. 
In Exodus 19, the people were told to wait three days after which they would behold God's glory. 2,000 years ago, the whole world had to wait until that third day, at which point the glory of God was revealed. Only this time, God's glory was not revealed in smoke. It wasn't revealed in a cloud. It wasn't revealed by thunder or by lightning or by an earthquake. The glory of God was revealed in an empty tomb. In Jesus, God gives us the one and only solution to this dilemma this problem that we see that is so evident at Mount Sinai. In Jesus, we can finally experience God's presence. We can live in God's presence and we can enjoy God's presence every single day of our lives and forevermore. And yes, God is inviting you and he's inviting me to come into his presence this morning. Would you join me as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, you are a great God. And this morning, in reading your word, we've seen just a glimpse of your greatness. And I do pray that as we leave this place this morning, we would do so with a greater vision and a greater understanding of who you are you do not change you cannot grow but our vision of you and our understanding of you can and so god i pray that that would happen in each and every one of our lives this morning and father i thank you and i praise you that you provided a solution to this problem how a holy god is separated from sinful man and how man cannot cross that divide cannot approach god on his own on her own and yet you loved us so much you provided a solution you sent jesus christ to come and to be our mediator he lived the life we should have lived took upon himself the death we deserve to die and god for that we thank you and we praise you that in christ we can now experience your presence in a real and personal way, both now and forevermore. Folks, Father, I pray for the one here today who has never done that, who has never come to Christ for salvation, acknowledging their sin, admitting that they cannot save themselves, they cannot uh, cross that divide on their own, I pray that this morning, in this very moment, seeing how great and how holy you are and how sinful we are, that in this moment, they would call on the name of Jesus and say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me. You died for me. You rose again. I put my trust in you. So that even now, they would indeed experience your presence and your forgiveness, your salvation. Father, would you move in our midst and show us all how you would have us to respond to your word today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.